glad you're here, each and every one of you. Uh, this is an exciting day because uh, we're going to start a new series today called Bold, what, what it means to make a bold move for God. The, the truth is, uh, every one of us here face challenges in which we find ourselves holding back. We, we find ourselves in some ways uh, afraid, fearful, reluctant to, to move forward. And when we talk about a bold move, we're talking about doing what God leads us to do. And so this, without a doubt to me, is where we are as a church. The issue of of our church community making a bold move, moving from this address to another address. It's a bold move. And the Christian life, the life of faith, is a life that requires a willingness to listen to God, to hear from God, and make a bold move for Him. Uh, spiritual boldness gives you, it really does, it gives you the courage to break uh, free from your comfort zone. And so that's really what we're going to get started with today. We're going to get started talking about how our comfort zone has to be challenged. And, and if not, we're going to stay and remain uh, exactly in the same place, exactly doing the same thing. Uh, we remain in a rut. And really all a rut is, it's, it's really a grave with both ends knocked out. You're, you're down, you may be making some progress, but you're still down. You're going one direction or the other out of the grave, and you're going nowhere for God. Uh, you, you've probably heard the idea before about sleeping on a bed of nails. I heard somebody say one time that, that if you sleep on a bed of nails, you lay on it long enough, you get used to it. And I, I honestly think that a lot of us have just gotten used to being in the rut, to laying in a set of circumstances, lying on a bed of nails. We've done it so long that, that we've just gotten used to it. Uh, Nehemiah discovered, and that's who we're going to look to for the next four weeks, what it takes to boldly go where God has called you to go. Uh, he found that God's divine providence, his providential care, that's a theological term that just simply says God is great and he is all powerful and he is able to take care of you in the most difficult of circumstances and that his providential care can keep you safe. So for the next four weeks we're going to talk about how our faithfulness and obedient, obedience to God will allow us to have the courage to make a bold move when God leads us to do that. So let's just go ahead and get started. Number one, uh, I would say write it in, but we've already filled it in for you. We just figured you would just, you were so worn out from last week being out on the property that you can put your pens away and, and the notes already have the blanks filled in. But please fill it in your heart today. Because the first thing I want you to understand is that bold moves begin when you open your eyes to the truth. When you get stuck, in a rut, when you're lying on that bed of nails, you, you, you stay there long enough, you've gotten used to it, you stop seeing the potentiality of what might be better. Uh, you stop seeing what God has for you. 
There's a, a passage that Jesus talked about when he was here on this planet in his earthly ministry. He told us to do, in essence, what this first principle says we're supposed to do. Open our eyes to the truth. Because Jesus said, look on the fields. And I want you, if you know this verse, help me when I get to the last word. Look at the fields. They are white unto what? Harvest. Some of you don't. You're kind of holding it back there. But say that one more time. The word is harvest. Look out on the fields, the fields of the earth, for they are white unto what? Harvest. Now, if you don't look, you'll never see it. That doesn't change the thing that, the fact that the fields are white. And, and if you, you know, from an agricultural uh, perspective, they're talking about the wheat. It has got right to the point where it's ready to be harvested. And it looks almost like an ocean of white. And, and it's ready to be harvested. And, and all the wonderful things that, that come from the harvesting of wheat. The fact that you'll have food. The fact that you'll have nourishment and strength and you'll be able to continue to live. God is basically saying you got to look before you see it. And, and that's really where this idea of a bold move begins. God has called every one of us to look. And because we're talking about this, this amazing personality in the Bible, his name is Nehemiah, he models this for us. Because all around Nehemiah, there was a set of circumstances that had existed. It was there. He just wasn't seeing it until he heard something that rocked his world. And so our, our, our first verse comes from Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. I'm going to read that passage. Kind of listen in with me, if you would. And you can see the narrative here, the story as it develops. People have come to Nehemiah. They said to me, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard this, okay, he now hears something that causes him to see something that is going to rock his world. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. Now, there's a, a parallel series of events that are happening here. I, I don't want to get bogged down today, but you really do need to know a little bit of the backstory, Because knowing the backstory will just make this story pop. It'll make it come alive for you, and you'll have a new admiration for Nehemiah. But most importantly, you're going to see the principle that will help you make the bold moves you need to make in your personal life. And it'll help us collectively see how we've got to make some bold moves for the kingdom of God collectively. Moves that made together will make an impact on this world. But there's another character, another book in the Bible by the name of Ezra. And there's a kind of a parallel story of Ezra who goes back to Jerusalem because it, it kind of this first starts with this idea that some people came back reporting what was going on in the city of Jerusalem. 
And in all likelihood, it's the people from Ezra's uh, developmental uh, research group that went to Jerusalem, and they had been empowered, remember this name, Artaxerxes, the, the emperor, really the most powerful man on the planet. Uh, this, this man who, who ruled, who was an iron-fisted ruler, a tyrant in many ways. But he allowed Ezra to go back to Jerusalem for the purpose of rebuilding the temple. Now, some of your, your heads are exploding because you're going, why would a, a dictator and a tyrant allow the Jewish people who he held captive and you got to put this in context, or none of this makes sense to you. But Artaxerxes took a little different approach than those who were tyrants before him. Because it was not uncommon when the northern tribes of Judah, because Israel had had a civil war. You may know this, you may not know this. It was a terrible time. North and south, not that unlike our own civil war here in the United States. Only the issue had much more to do with faith in God because the north had departed and, and left their faith in God. They were offering sacrifices. They were actually sacrificing their baby children to pagan gods. And the south did not buy into that. They had their own problems, but they didn't go that far. And so God had made a covenant and a promise with Israel. He said, this land's always yours. He said, but if you don't follow me, there's going to be consequences. And the consequences were the Assyrians came in and invaded the north, left the south alone, and defeated them. And their approach was, you know, every period of ancient history saw a different approach to, 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 to war and peace and and what to do with the spoils of war. But their approach, and, and I want you to remember this, because, you know, there are things that if you get them in your head, you know, if you've never been to Israel and you've been in the Holy Land, this north-south thing would make so much sense to you. But in the north, the northern kingdom, they were defeated by the Assyrians. The Assyrian people took the defeated Jews and hit, their approach was different than Artaxerxes. They took the people and scooped them up. So would you guys do this? This is the only way you're going to remember this. I actually had a seminary professor do this with me a few years ago, actually a long time ago. But he said, scoop them up, people. So everybody reach out there, scoop them up. You got them? And what they did is they dispersed them. They, they scattered them around the world. So on three, disperse them. One, two, three, whoosh. So when, when someone asks you, why are there Jewish people scattered all around the world? It's because in this ancient time, after being defeated, they were scooped up and they were dispersed. And, and so already, it, it, Europe, just all, they, they literally migrated all around the world. And so as they scattered, they held on to their Jewishness. It, it is one of the greatest proofs of God because they, they continued to keep the Sabbath. They continued to remember the Exodus and the stories. And, and they continued, many of them, one of the, the prayers in, on Sabbath at a Sabbath dinner, it ends with next year in Jerusalem. In other words, their hearts were always to go back to Jerusalem. And it wasn't until after 
uh, World War II and what Hitler had done in killing six million Jews, that the world's heart was softened and Jerusalem was given back to its rightful owner, to the Jewish people. There had still been a remnant there. There were always Jews there. But the majority of them had been scooped up and scattered. Now, again, I won't get into, bogged down with all the details, but this is context. This is huge for you to understand this. Because there's constant change going on in this time of the world. You got the Babylonians. They're, they're now in the middle of this. And, and they're defeating the southern kingdom. And, and the Babylonians, if you want to think of this, modern day Iraq and, and the borders are not exactly the same because the borders that are present today with us were drawn after World War I when the Ottoman Empire was defeated. And so you've got now this group of Babylonians who, who were kind of into a similar approach, but yet they didn't scatter everyone everywhere. They took more of an approach of, hey, let's kind of maybe take the brightest and the best, the smartest. And, and that's where you end up with the story of Daniel. You remember Daniel in the lion's den? Let's educate them and make them like us. And now we enter Artaxerxes and his grandfather, Darius, and you end up with this, this different, totally different approach. That, and th this may be interesting to some of you. Some of you may be going into a serious coma right now, okay? But this is cool stuff, and you, you got to love this. Because Artaxerxes says, we're not going to scatter people. We're going to take the people, and we're going to convince them that our way, our government, our approach is the best way to go at it. And, and we've defeated them. They really don't have a choice. But we're going to let them do something nobody else has ever let them do before. We're going to let them have freedom of religion. We're going to separate church from state. How many of you ever heard of the state of Rhode Island? Would you wave at me? Let me tell you how relevant this is. There is a Reformed Baptist pastor who was kicked out of Massachusetts. How many of you ever heard of Massachusetts? Yeah? He was kicked out because he, he bought into the idea that little babies didn't need to be baptized, that you choose to be saved a little bit later when on your own you recognize that you're a sinner and you come to Christ. And then you follow Jesus in baptism. Exactly what we believe, by the way. And so the founder of that little colony is a dude who's a big historian. He's a guy that went all the way back to this period of time, to Artaxerxes. And he finds in this phrase, separation of church and state. And Roger Williams, that's his name, by the way the founder of the state of Rhode Island, says, I think government, because whether you realize it or not, when our country started, we were bringing the English form of a state government to this country. There was certainly, there were certainly many Christians in the, amongst the Puritans, but if you didn't do it their way, you were thrown out. And, and this guy named Roger Williams says, hey, Individual conscience and freedom of religion and separation of church and state and civil government can be here and religion can be over here. And, and he held to that going up to when our country fought for its freedoms. It was his writings that kind of helped guide us to this point where we are what we are now, which is that 
we don't have a state religion. Anyone can believe what they want to believe. Individual conscience is what, what it's all about. And, and, and I don't know about you, but Artaxerxes, he, he was, he was, God used him in an, in an amazing way. And there are so many cool things about him. In fact, in, whether you realize this or not, Roger Williams, when he began the, this, the state, the colony of Rhode Island, he was the first one to write and say that slavery should not be allowed into these new 13 colonies. And he wanted it to be forever abolished. And if we'd have listened to him, we would have saved our country untold agony and the death of a half a million people and the abuse of a race that went on for generations that frankly, the cost of that remains with us to this day. And so Artaxerxes, he's a frankly pretty cool guy. I'm kind of a fan. And certainly Roger Williams who came along and took the best of what he had to say. And that's where we find ourselves today. Here's a guy named Nehemiah who's a Jew who doesn't worship the gods of Artaxerxes, but that's okay with him. And he is advanced in civil government and he has the job of a cupbearer. So I'm giving you a lot of the narrative and story form here because none of this is going to make any sense unless you get your head around it. And so here he is. He is, he is now a government bureaucrat. And a cupbearer is not just a guy that gets a sip of the king's wine before the king gets it to make sure he doesn't get poisoned. He is responsible for all of the commerce and the food and the food supply and all the food that comes into the palace because his job... If he fails at his job, he is taken out and executed. He's pretty serious about his job. How'd you like to go to work tomorrow morning, knowing that if you don't do your job well on Tuesday, they kill you? Uh, that's, that puts a whole new meaning to the idea, my job's killing me. The, the truth is, we can really see here some things that apply. See, some of you read the Bible and you ah, blah, 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 blah. Artaxerxes, that's not even easy to say. It's got an X in it like 15 times. How do they do that? And you get, you know, your brain goes somewhere else. But there's really cool stuff in God's word. If you get a heart for God's word and studying God's word, and that's why we're pushing now Bible studies, small groups so much right now, because spiritual growth happens best in small groups. And you're never really serious about your spiritual growth until you commit to being a part of a small group. But as you study and the more you realize, the more this book becomes so amazing. God's word has so much. And when you put it in the context of history, you see, oh, I see how that happened. Artaxerxes, he's got people on, in his government who are different than him. And he, he not just tolerates, his, tolerates them, he embraces their gifts. So Nehemiah as a Jew has risen to this really high position in the government office, and he does something incredible. He makes a bold move. But this bold move began. It began with his looking and seeing something that was out there in front of him that he had never noticed before. You see, once God opens your eyes to the conditions around you, and you allow him to do that, and frankly... If you stay down in that rut, you remember that it's like a grave with both ends knocked out? If you keep lying on that bed of nails, you see, 
your marriage does not have to feel like a bed of nails. Your life does not have to feel like a torture and a burden to get up every day and just sludge through another day. God wants you to see the possibility of something better. Now, here's, here's the challenge, and this is where this, this story really gets dicey. Because Nehemiah had to navigate something. There was an issue that, that doesn't make sense to us. But he was not allowed by law to appear before the king who he was constantly appearing before. He was not allowed to show a sense of sadness, a countenance that was anything less than yippee-yay-o-kaye. He was virtually held to the letter of the law, the civil law of the land, which was when you go in front of the king, you better have your happy face on and you better not be depressed. Uh, that, is a, that is a crazy rule and a crazy law. You may want to employ it at your house. Nobody's allowed to come home without their happy face. Uh, penalty? Death, you know. We'll, we'll put you in prison. Hang you by your thumbs. You see, when God opens your eyes, and that's where it all starts, because you can just walk right by the most awful things in this world, the most awful Awful abuses and hurts and pains. They can be going all around you. I mean, the story of the Good Samaritan talks about how people who were religious and upright went walking right by this guy, beat up and left in the gutter. They actually crossed the road to get on the other side so they didn't have to look. I don't want to look at that. It may make me feel bad. You know, the truth is, God wants us to look and see. That's our first thing, and, and really that's about 90% of our talk today. The next three, three ideas are just so brief, so important, and so simple, and so concise. Number two, bold moves. You got to see, but bold moves are empowered by prayer. Before he makes his bold move, he prays. Scripture we read already, 3 and 4 says that. But drop down to verse number 11, because it doesn't stop there. Verse 11. Oh, Lord... Please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those of us who delight in honoring you. Now, you get this? He is, he's no longer in Israel. He's no longer in Judah, the southern kingdom. Okay? He's been captured, taken away. He's been given freedom of religion. This all makes a whole lot more sense now, doesn't it? And he has a close relationship with God. And his eyes have been opened to the fact that back home in Jerusalem... The walls are torn down. The city gates have been burnt, which may not be that big of a deal to you because quite frankly, we don't live in city states where marauders come running in and rape and pillage and kill and rob and steal if the gates are burnt down and the walls are torn down. But there's some amazing figurative realities that we need to build fences walls in our life to protect us from the enemies that we face. And it may not be someone coming in with a sword, but it will cause even more damage because it will cut into your heart. There are things that can come into your home, into your life that will tear you down if you don't have a wall up. And when you open your eyes and go, oh my goodness, the walls are down. I I'm potentially capable of, of being attacked. So here it is. Lord, hear my prayer. 
That's the second part. Once God opens your eyes, some of you are wondering why you don't pray more. Frankly, you haven't allowed God to open your eyes and see the things that are worth praying for. When you open your eyes and you see your kids and you realize, and every parent feels this to a certain degree, but you're not focused sometimes on the right thing. But when you realize when your kids go out the door, it's not just teaching them not to get in a car with someone who's drinking. It's not just telling them, you know, the superficial things about how to look and talk and act and think. But when you realize your kids are being assaulted in a spiritual warfare and, and that the greatest defense you have for them is teach them truth. Truth is always the best shield. But you guys, listen to me. The greatest thing you can do for your kids is pray for them when they walk out the door. But you really don't see that unless you open your eyes to the spiritual warfare that's going on. And so th this is a cool thing. We, we get this from Nehemiah. How amazing is this? He's been moved. His eyes have been opened. Before you ever make a bold move, you will have your eyes opened by truth, and you'll know that your eyes will be have been opened. You say, how do I know if my eyes have been opened? Because your heart's burdened. You're troubled. You know, you, you can sit around just fat, dumb, and happy, frankly, kind of running around in the rut that you're in on that bed of nails. But, but the truth is, you really haven't seen the real issues that are going on around you. And so Nehemiah has. And so boldly he prays. And when God opens your eyes and my eyes and we step out by faith, we are empowered by prayer. Uh, we, we can have confidence of God's empowering. That's number two. Number three, you don't have to write it down. It's already there. But bold moves will take you outside of your comfort zone. Outside of your comfort zone. All of us, we, we know what a comfort zone is. It's the stuff we're used to doing. We're comfortable. Do, you know, don't take a risk. Don't, don't do anything that would upset anyone else. We've taken political correctness. And uh, I think we should be sensitive to everybody's hurts and feelings. But we put that idea on steroids, quite frankly. When your eyes are opened and you're empowered by prayer, you have an opportunity to go out of your comfort zone. God will give you the courage to do what he's leading you to do. So next verse, let's look to God's word. We're in Nehemiah chapter 2. We've kind of done an overview of chapter 1, but in chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, so the king asked me, <laughs> I already told you, <laughs> it's against the law to look sad in front of the king, right? So here you go. Why are you looking so sad, Nehemiah? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. Then I was terrified. But I replied, long live the king. How can I be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruin and the gates have been destroyed by fire. <laughs> wow. That's out of your comfort zone. That's taking a risk. Uh, th this was the moment of truth, life and death, hanging in the balances right here. This could have gone either way, but Nehemiah stepped out by faith. He made a bold move, and he said, I am willing to allow myself to be sad in front of the king. 
And I, I want to give you some examples of this because most of you will not go anywhere this week that if you get a little bit sad, the consequences and penalty will be death. Uh, you might, you know, but I doubt it. But when God opens your eyes, let me give you a, a plausible scenario. You go to work this week and, and God opens your eyes. You see this, this person, a man or a woman you work with, and you see them as God sees them. You, you realize they're being ravaged by sin. He's hurting. They're, maybe they're, this guy, this, this, this woman, their, their family is under attack. Maybe it's a self-destructive addiction. He's on this road to just total chaos in his life. And you feel God laying, just kind of leading you to pray for this person. And so maybe you're already there. Let's just assume this is already happening. You've seen someone who's hurting and you've been praying for him. The next step is get out of your comfort zone. God put you in this person's life so that you can now share the truth with them. You can invite them to come to a small group. See, sometimes we think, well, you just invite them to church. No. Some people, the right move, the right bold move might be to invite them to a small group first. But invite them to worship. Invite them to a small group. Uh, invite them at lunch to let you pray out loud and say, hey, I know you're having a hard time now before we eat today. Could I pray for our meal? And could I pray for you? I know you're going through a heck of a time. You say, if I did that, man, I would be absolutely labeled a Looney Tune Christian. Well, it sounds to me like you need to make a bold move and be willing to be labeled a Looney Tune Christian. Because the truth is, most of us cower back, ashamed to step out when we have nothing to really lose. No one's going to kill us. Not like Nehemiah, but Nehemiah showed us the way. And certainly if he can be willing to be killed for the sake of the, the bold move of doing what God wanted him to do. Because God wanted to use him. God wanted to use him to create the resources to allow him to go back to his home in Jerusalem to rebuild the walls. And that's where the story is going to take us here in the next few weeks. He, he was doing something about this. I'll give you just one more example. You see the immense spiritual need all around you tugs at your heart. Uh, maybe it has to do with your own relationships. Maybe your marriage. And you've gotten used to laying on that bed of nails. You just kind of tolerate it and put up with it. And, and the problem comes down to, let me just put it this way. Pride. Two strong-willed people, both not willing to apologize and say, I'm sorry. And so God lets you see that your pride is getting in the way of a happy marriage. But you hold on to that because the bold move would be to humble yourself. And so you stick with the pride. And there's a thousand examples of what, how this works. But God wants all of us to be willing to make a bold move in our life. But we've got to be willing to see things as he sees it. Pray about it. Don't just run in without praying. And, and then when God shows you what it is, take a deep breath and take a risk. That, that's really the third thing here. And what happens when we do that? Number four, here it is. We'll wrap it up. 
Here's the outcome. Bold moves made in obedience to God receive his favor. Uh, by the time <laughs> the king had responded, and I love these stories. They come alive to me. I mean, it's just like I'm watching it as on a movie, a big wide screen, 4K, you know, stereo sound. That's, you need to read God's word and let it come alive. And there it is. He's now, he's been sweating bullets. It says right in the text, he's worried. But what does Artaxerxes do? Here, here's the cool part. Chapter 2, verse 4. The king asked, well, how can I help you? Is that cool compared to what could have happened? You know, I, I was thinking of the queen of hearts. Off, off with the head, you know. This could have been the end for Nehemiah. Story over. He gets a little shorter real quick. The king says, how can I help you? What a relief. What a relief. And, and whatever it is you're worried about, and that's kind of the wrap-up for us here today. Whatever you're worried about, God's pressed on your heart. Make a bold move. And it's not easy, frankly. You know, there's, there's fear involved. But if you'll pray about it, if you contemplate the fact that there's risk involved and you're going out of your com com comfort zone and you'll, you'll be willing to trust God, there's a really good chance that God has prepared the heart of the person who, who you're going to make the bold move with. And as a result, they're going to be willing to say, okay, what, what can I do? Let's listen. I want to hear what you have to say because God's already prepared their heart. You've been praying. So whatever's going on in your life now, don't just sit back and, and accept the discomfort of the, of the rut, the bed of nails. Ask God to show you what you're supposed to do. Be proactive. God wants to use you to be an agent of change. You know, collectively as a church community, we are making a bold move right now. We are making a move that's taking us from one piece of property to another piece of property. And I couldn't be more proud of all of you getting out of your comfort zone this past week, between Wednesday night and Saturday, I don't know exactly, but close to 100 people volunteered hours of work and joined together with others. And they made the bold move of saying, hey, I'm busy, but you know what? I'm going to do something. I'm going to do something that invests in others. I'm, I'm going to do something maybe out of my comfort zone, but I'm going to invest in people so that one day we can have a new home where more people can hear about Jesus. And that's, that's my hope and prayer today. We do this collectively, make bold moves, but it starts on an individual basis. There may be a bold move of getting up in the morning, frankly, which means going to bed a little bit earlier the night before, and getting up, make the bold move of having a time of, a quiet time, a devotional time. That's a bold move. Maybe God's leading you to make a bold move of, of putting him first in your finances. I think one of the boldest moves anybody ever makes is when they get their wallet out, say, God, it's yours. According to the Bible, everything we own belongs to him. And so when you choose to tithe and say, God, I'll give you 10%, help me make the other 90% to go farther, frankly, that's a bold move. It's one of the boldest moves you'll ever make in your life. But it shows so much of your relationship with God. And you pray and say, Lord, I'm afraid to do this because there's little realities out there. You know, I want to eat. I want to pay the mortgage. But if that's a 
that's something God has led his people to do. Then make the bold move because he will do the same thing for you that he did for Nehemiah. He'll give you favor. He'll prepare the way. And this thing could go on and on. I could spend the rest of the day talking about the things that God is leading you to do. But every one of them require a bold move. And every bold move requires that you see it as God sees it, that you are willing to pray about it, that you consider the cost of getting out of your comfort zone and then let it fly. Let's bow for prayer. Would you bow with me right now? Let's, let's bow our heads. Every one of us right now, I, there is no one here who, can, who is exempt from the reality of God leading you to make a bold move. And so right now, right where you sit, what is it? It's not up to me to tell you. Hey, if you don't know Jesus, if you've never been saved, there is that bold move of faith, that leap of faith, where you say, Jesus, I'm going to invite you to save me today. That's a bold move. For me, that happened when I was 17 years old. I've never regretted that bold move. Jesus died on the cross for our sins, and he wants to save you. But you've got to swallow your pride. You've got to say, I can't save myself. And you make a bold move, a leap of faith, and you ask Christ to save you. You say, Ed, how do I do that? Right here and now, heads are bowed, nobody's looking around. You whisper a prayer, you and God. The, the word of God says if you call upon his name, you will be saved. If you tell him you're sorry for your sin, you repent of it and confess it. You can walk out of here today knowing your sins have been forgiven. To those of us who are followers of Christ, can I tell you this? There's something God is leading you to do and make a bold move. And you can make it today. By quietly whispering in your heart, God, I can't do this on my own. It's out of my comfort zone. But I see it the way you see it. That's your prayer. And I'm going to ask you to help you make a bold move for you. Stand with me. We're going to pray. Thank you for listening today. We hope your heart was inspired. For more information or directions, visit us at abt316.com.